Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me there. Our text will be verses 6 through 9, which we read in just a moment or two. We're in a little bit of a little bit of a holding pattern. We finished up our Church 101 series where we were the entire summer. I did not want to start back into Genesis, okay, until after Labor Day. So we have this one week, and I was praying, and God gave a wonderful reminder of how we are to live our lives, even in the midst of, as we just told our little ones, even when there's some heat applied to us, even when we are pressed in life, God has a plan, I want to welcome every single one of you. God has blessed us with a full house on a beautiful, beautiful weekend, especially if it's your first time to Big Woods Bible Church, a special welcome to you. I need help as we dive into this text. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we get started? Father, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had to lift up our voices in praise. And I would ask that you would direct this entire time. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. Lord, I am in need and totally reliant upon you. I would ask, Lord, that your word, as it says in the promises, that it will never return void. Lord, that today would be a moment that hearts are encouraged by the work of your spirit through the power of your word. Please help my mouth, my words to be edifying to this dear body and exalting the name of Jesus. We ask this in his amazing and matchless name, the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. I have found this, okay? For the most part, we all move in seasons think about how the year begins january and it's usually cold and it's dark it's winter time but yet there's there's warmth that we find at times in front of the coziness of a fire and then from the darkness comes the light and the new life of a spring season where it seems like in spring Everything, everywhere is blooming, and there's colors. And then there is what? The summertime, sunshine, school is out, and it's what? Heading to the beach or to the mountains or vacation, and there's picnics and barbecues, and things kind of slow down. And then there is the fall, the busyness, back to Routine, And we all quickly right now are asking the question, where has the summer gone? And we rush, but it's rush to what? And then there is what? Once again, the bareness of the trees and the coldness and darkness of long nights. We're in a sense where we began and it's another round. And yet for some... For some, and I would dare say for many people that are here this morning, hear me on this, the seasons are secondary because much of your life has been dulled by the pain that you are facing. Whether or not it's physical pain 
or emotional, a broken body, broken relationships, the loss of a loved one, rejection, dashed dreams, past hurts, whether what's induced by others or self-afflicted. Life seems to have dealt you a cruel blow, and people suffer today in a loveless marriage, a wayward child, an aching body. And it seems that you can't, you can't shake it, you can't change it, and you can't escape it, and it's just hurt. Can I be honest? I hate to hurt. I hate to hurt. And yet, I am totally certain, totally certain, 100% confident that God in his sovereignty has a purpose for your pain. And that's what I want to spend a few moments on this morning. This, this text, which we'll read, is wedged very neatly between two other texts. Verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1 deals with the subject of, in a sense, the weight or the power of salvation. It says, in inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power. And then following it is what? The, the increased knowledge of salvation, the grace that was to be yours. It was both prophesied and it had been preached. And these verses in between are, are arguably the most practical because they teach us what to do in the midst of the hardship or the pain that we face. Remember, this whole section comes based in the first part of 1 Peter chapter 1 upon one of the great truths of all of Scripture. It's a clear view of the blessing, the doctrine of what we call eternal security or perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. And God has an amazing plan in place for you. And you can be absolutely certain and secure of your salvation, regardless of what the enemy whispers to you at times. Think what God is doing. In joy right now, he's preparing you for his glory. In joy, your faith is intended to last for all of eternity. Here we go. Here's the text. First Peter chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 6 down through verse 9. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. God does everything for a reason and for a purpose. God allows us what, even in painful parts of our life, 
as it says that you will be grieved by various trials. That word grieve literally means distressed. It means to be made sad. It means to experience deep sorrow. And trials are, are troubles or tribulations. Struggles of life and strains of life. Hardships and heartaches. Problems and pain. Now with the text, there's a couple of what I would call little light bulbs that kind of lead to the big idea, the big light bulb. And the first couple little light bulbs that are here that we have to understand, number one is this, pain is temporary, and you have to hold on to that truth. It says, though now for a little while, which means what? Seasons are short. Life on this earth is limited. Our pain does not and will not last. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 17, our light affliction. And think about Paul's life, what he faced. And he's describing as what? Light affliction is but for a moment. James, the brother of Jesus, worded it in such a way that reminds us to remember our entire life here on this earth is but a mist or a vapor. It appears for one moment and then it vanishes. Job, who knew a thing or two about pain, says that my days are swifter than a runner, and they flee away. David said his life is but a shadow. Remember that little dash that we see when we stand around a hole in the ground, and we, we watch a casket as it is lowered in, and there's that little tiny dash? Like, that's our life. Doesn't it happen so fast? Didn't we just put the birthday cards away and now we're going to buy more? Another trip around the sun. Number one, pain is temporary. And secondly, pain is necessary. If necessary, if needed. It is needed. It is needed. And it's hard to say that. It is needed for you and I to go through tough times. Why? Because you cannot appreciate the joy of light apart from darkness. You cannot appreciate what? The splendor of salvation apart from the hard message and reality of sin. Pain is necessary primarily for two reasons. A, to chasten us. To correct us. The psalmist wrote, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Psalm 119, verse 67. Now that does not mean, make sure you hear me, that does not mean that all pain is a result of sin. It does not mean that. But it can serve as an opportunity for us to carefully examine our life. Not only is pain necessary to chasten or correct us, pain is necessary to grow and mature us. We become better. Think of this. We become better as a result of suffering pain. Paul speaks quite personally in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that he was given a thorn in his side. The King James Version says, to keep me from being exalted above measure and there's great debate and there is no agreement amongst theologians and commentaries 
of what that thorn was. We don't know, uh, we don't really need to know. What we do need to know is it represents something that every single one of us can identify with. The fact that every one of us have had a thorn in our side. We have experienced what? Affliction or weakness or hindrance or opposition. In some form, in some fashion, all of us can look back at those times and realize that we actually have been strengthened and made better as a result because of it. There there are a couple of what I call the little light bulbs that certainly are present and they surface, surface, but they lead us to what I call the big idea or the big light bulb. Number three, pain will prove the value of your faith. So I was writing that, I thought about, and I actually changed it. Pain can prove the value of your faith. And, and I, as I scratched it, I was like, no, no. Pain will do this. Pain will prove the value of your faith. Is your faith real or is it fake, fabricated? Is your faith in, in yourself, in man, or is your faith in God? Paul begins by describing these trials with this word various, various trial. It means varied or varying. It's actually connected to this word. Many of you with a green thumb and gardening know this word variegated. It speaks of a multicolored leaf on a plant. Variegated trials. The NIV says all kinds of trials. I love the wording of the King James. It says manifold temptations. All of that to say what? There is no limit. There is no limit to what God will use, perhaps God will choose to place in your life. There's no limits to what God will do to correct you or perhaps smooth you, sand off the rough edges, shape you in some way or mature you. Whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual or circumstantial or financial. I was flipping through the pages of scripture and and the list is too long for us this morning. For Job, it was what? It was physical pain and the loss. The pain of losing a child I cannot fully fathom, and he lost all of his children. Joseph, it was what? False accusation and imprisonment for years. David, it was what? Outward attacks, or I wrote inward stupidity that he felt pain. Abram lost a home. Paul lost his freedom. Peter lost his dignity as he was crying like a little baby after he denies Christ. Mary lost her own son for a season. You know, in in, in doing this, God, God is revealing something. He reveals to us his closeness. Do you realize that many, many people today in our world who face trials, most of them, I would say, do not know why they face the trials, and they certainly don't know what to do with it. They just get angry. It must be someone else's fault. How dare God? 
Many people don't know why they're there or what to do with them. And let me remind you, it is only when you what understand and you as one having been chosen since the foundations of the world were set, adopted into the family of God through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, you recognize your need as a sinner to be covered by the shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people, you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, begin to what? The light begins to go on. And you begin to discover God's purpose for your trials in this life. And here it is. Here, here, here it is. Verse 7. Here's the big idea. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means what? Not by Tuesday. It doesn't mean that all of this is going to happen. What? Immediately. Our faith, rather, is to is designed to, to, to persevere to the very end. Our faith is not to be fleeting. I remember getting a, a call from a kid, a young man, I should say. I led him to the Lord and baptized him, and he was just exploding in his faith and growing. He had joined the army. He was at basic training in Mississippi. And when he finally got to the place that he was allowed to make a phone call, I don't know when that is, he called me. And he said, Pastor Tim, I have a question for you. I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with one of my buddies here. And he asked a really, really good question. I don't know if you could help me with I said, well, what is it, Joey? What's the question? And he said, how do you really know for sure that there is a God... And that what? The Bible is true. And I'm like, well, that's no doubt a really, really good question. Matter of fact, millions of people, what, over the ages have asked those exact same questions. I remember on the phone asking Joey, I said, Joey, do, do you believe in God and, and the Bible? And he goes, well, yes, sir, absolutely, yes, sir. And I asked him this question, I said, then, Joey, how do you really know for sure that there is a God and that the Bible is true? And without a moment's hesitation, he said this. I remember he said, because God has always been there for me in the tough times. And I said, that's what you tell your buddy. I said, you tell him about the struggles that you went through and how God was there. You tell them that you saw firsthand what God did in your mom and dad's marriage and in their own home. You tell them about how God has been faithful so that your trials have proven your faith. Let me ask you a question this morning. Those of you that are, that are, that are reeling in pain, how has your trial proven your faith? Has it? Has your trial, your pain, proven your faith? Look closely. Listen very carefully. Again, verses 6 and 7. You have been grieved by various trials that the genuine, uh, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by 
fire. That word trial carries with it the idea it means the testing of your faith. Kenneth Weeks says it like this, the approval of your faith. The New American Standard, I think, actually summarizes it the best. It simply reads, it is the proof of your faith. So, so, so here it is from our text. It's simply made possible. The purpose of your pain is what? Proving something. My older sister, Trishy, was uh, about 16 years old. Long time ago. And she, she fell in love with a, a young boy whose name was, was Billy. And Billy and his family were, were pig farmers. And so, so because they had fallen in love, he wanted to show, and so he went and he bought this necklace, a gold necklace with a diamond in it. And us as the little siblings, little brothers, little sister looking at it, and we're like, whoa, Billy, your bacon business is booming. And as, as life goes on, as life has it about a month after that she and billy fell out of love and so in that moment of devastation and heartache she took the beautiful gold necklace and i remember because we're kind of peeking around the corner and like don't do it and she opens up our wood fire furnace and she threw the necklace in in tears well Little brothers aren't dumb. And so my brother and I waited until the fire cooled down. And as she's sobbing in her room, we went fishing through the ashes because we know what happens when gold and diamonds go through fire. And, and after it died down and we fished out, it looked nothing as a matter of fact the the gold had burned off and the diamond had actually melted away which means what the entire necklace was a fake it was junk and the fire had proven its worth as what nothing it's worth nothing Likewise, the fire of a trial in your life actually will prove your faith, your trust in God. Hear me on this. Believe me on this. Belief in God is really, really easy when everything goes well, but only a few can believe in God when it does not go well. Inwardly, we know that our faith in God is never based on our outward circumstances, but our inward convictions. And so we rest in this fact that there are trials and there are tribulations and there is pain, but they serve a purpose. What is that? So that your faith is proven to be real or not. Verse 7 concludes, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is your, your faith like right now? in the midst of those trials when the doctor what says yeah i think we need to run some more tests because it, it's it's not looking good we think it might be cancer when your your spouse says yeah there's there's another person 
I've fallen in love with, and I'm out. I'm gone. When, when, when your daughter says, yeah, you know what? Um, I, I think actually I'm a lesbian. And, and you, you go through these moments. You get the call from your son at college, and he says, I'm, I'm quitting college, and, and I'm gone. I'm out. I don't want this anymore. And you're on the receiving end of this news. Do, do, do you praise God when you face hardships like that? Do you seek to bring glory to God in the midst of that kind of pain? And yet we know the divine design is such that God can actually give you the ability to praise him even in the midst of. Fourthly and finally, pain again will result, will result in rejoicing if your faith is genuine. In this rejoice, though you do not see him, you believe in him. And then it repeats, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I know what you may be thinking, what in the world are you crazy? I am, I am hurting here and I hate this. Salvation, the outcome of your faith, can produce joy in the middle of suffering. The Holy Spirit is real, and the Holy Spirit is real powerful. The Holy Spirit is present. Let me assure you that it is only God. Okay, it's not a drug, it's not a drink, it's not a relationship that's going to to numb the pain that's going to bring a smile on your face in the midst of suffering. Not lasting, at least. And yet there's some, some way, and I've seen it. You've seen it. You know people. Even in the midst of harrowing trials, there's a sense of joy and peace and contentment. And it seems at some level, in all honesty, it's kind of few and far between. One of the great hymn writers, we still sing her songs, Fanny Crosby, gift it. Gave us such hymns as to God be the glory, great things he has done. Praise him, praise him, near the cross, blessed assurance. Fanny Crosby lived to be 90 years old, and she was blind from infancy, and she actually wrote these words. Listen to this. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't to weep and sigh because I am blind and I cannot and I won't. Oh, what a happy soul I am. We hear that and we're like, well, goodness, it's Fanny Crosby. She's 90 years old. She's about to see Jesus. You know, you know what I learned about that? She wrote that. She wrote that little, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. She wrote that when she was five years old. How? Like, how does that happen? I don't know who said it, but they said it. Well, joy is not circumstantial. It is relational. That means being joyful and being happy in life, being contented in life, living with an ability to give praise and thanks does not depend at all upon your circumstances. It actually depends upon who you know. 
Pastor Tim Keller, who recently just went home to be with the Lord, says this, you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Oh, if, if we were to live like that, if we were to move through this world with a sense of, yet yeah, hardship is real, trial is real, pain is real. But we move through this world saying what I, I know who is with me. Critics and, and skeptics have, have, of course, responded to Peter's words here. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says that he writes this letter to exiles of the dispersion. And so what? Of course they need to be reminded. Look at the hardship that they're facing. They needed it. Where we look at our lives today and we're like, well, no one's persecuting us. No one's chasing us from our homes. We're not being picked on, maligned, or mistreated. We're not hungry. We're not homeless. I still wonder then, why is it so few? Why is it so few that seem to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible? And I think it happens because we miss the first part. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. Which means no joy means what? There's no love of him. No joy, no praising in the midst of pain means there's no belief or trust in him. Therefore, this moment, our, our purpose is to examine closely. Do we know, do we love, and do we trust him? Do we know, do we love, and do we trust him? And I, and, I, and I pray, my heart's cry is that today you would understand the importance of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, a free gift that is offered to you, recognizing that we are desperate, needy sinners in need of a Savior, and there's only one without fault, without blame, without sin, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. I, I grew up in a home where my mom suffered chronic, chronic suffering every day in pain. When she was 17 years old, she was a competitive diver, and she fractured her neck, and as a result of that, she had full mobility, but, but um, juvenile osteo and rheumatoid arthritis set in, and it just, just wrecked her body for years, for decades. She had spinal fusion. She had pins in her spine. She, she lost every single one of her major joints. She had artificial knees, artificial hips, two artificial shoulders. She lived in pain. And yet you couldn't spend time. You couldn't spend time with mom. And she never wanted to talk about herself. She wanted to ask, about, how, how are you doing? How's Wendy and the kids? How's things at church? the end of April, the Lord unexpectedly called mom home. And, and I've thought about it. We've, as a family, we've not lost someone close to us and, and processed through this. And although what? The last years were spent in a, in a wheelchair. It was decades after the doctors thought. I've thought about the fact about mom right now being free from pain. 
She doesn't think, she doesn't think one moment about back surgeries. She doesn't think one moment about the ache and the pain and waking up. She doesn't think about that ever anymore. She doesn't think about what was because she is what? She's in the presence of her Savior rejoicing. And she finished well. She left a testimony of faithfulness. May that be you. May that be me in the midst of a world that is filled with pain. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He promises that there's a purpose. There's even praise in the midst of it. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray right now that the Holy Spirit would just minister to hearts and souls that are hurting. And I pray, Lord, that this message would be encouraging, a, a needed reminder of how we maneuver our way through life with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Contented we will be. We love you, and we thank you for our love for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.